Welcome to the Storm Series, a collaboration between Thrive Without Limits and the Minnesota Storm, bringing you stories that embody toughness, grit, and the relentless pursuit of excellence. As we gear up for the 2024 Olympics in Paris, join us on a journey through the rich history of the Minnesota Storm Wrestling Club, connecting the past with the present and paving the way for a future filled with champions. In this series, we dive deep into the world of Greco-Roman wrestling, shining a light on the sport through conversations with Olympians, world champions, and medalists. These athletes, all connected through the brotherhood of Minnesota Storm Wrestling, share their stories of triumph, perseverance, and the lessons learned on and off the mat. Join us as we explore the untold stories, the hardships overcome, and the victories celebrated. Together, We'll learn from the past to pave the way for a better future. Get ready to be inspired, challenged, and motivated to thrive without limits. Welcome to the Storm Series. Hey there, folks. Thanks for tuning in today. This is your host of the Thrive Without Limits podcast, Jake Deichler. We are doing a collaboration where Thrive Without Limits is actually teaming up with the Minnesota Storm Wrestling Club. And we are doing a series called the Storm Series, where we're going to actually sit down and do interviews with past and current members of the Minnesota Storm Wrestling Club, dive into the deep history and many stories of it. Uh, today's first guest and in interview is going to be with the great Dan Chandler. I just wanted to take a second and just to, you know, let you give you a little insight into Dan's history and what he's accomplished. He's a seven-time U.S. Olympic team coach, six-time USA Wrestling Coach of the Year, three-time Olympian. He's a distinguished member of the National Wrestling of Hall of Fame. We could sit here and we could talk forever about Dan and, and his contribution to the sport of wrestling, not only in the state of Minnesota, but around the United States. Um, he has grown Greco-Roman wrestling in the United States. He actually coached Roland Gardner when he beat Alexander Karelin in the 2000 Olympic Finals, one of the biggest upsets in Olympic history. Um, but overall, on and off the mat, he is just a, a great contributor, both as an athlete, as a coach. And we are so grateful for the time that we have to talk with him today. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for coming on the show. How are we doing today, sir? Very good. Good. We're good. busy training our, our senior athletes for the uh, Olympic trials and the last chance qualifier uh, to participate in the Olympic trials. That's so we've been busy training. Awesome. Where is, so where's, where's the last chance qualifier at this year? It's at George Mason University in uh Right outside of Washington, D.C. Oh, that'll be great. That'll be that'll be a fun time. Um, How many athletes? Yeah, it'll be. Uh, I think we're gonna have. Uh, okay, that's awesome. That's all. how many guys are qualified for the trials from the Storm Greco team right now, as it stands. Richard Carlson, Pat Smith, yep. Taylor Lumberson are all qualified through the national championships or, you know, Pat Smith was on the world team last year. So we got five guys qualified. Oh, that's great. That's going to be exciting. I mean, it, are they going to be out of Penn state for everybody, right? For the Greco and freestyle and women's this year or all, all three styles are going simultaneously. Oh, that's going to be so much fun to watch. Be kind of interesting. Seriously. Well, I tell you what, I remember looking at tickets. One, they're not cheap and they're not easy to get. I mean, and rightfully so. It's going to be a great tournament. Yeah, I believe it's sold out. 
God, that's and, amazing. Uh, I think we have three mats, so there'll be one mat will be, you know, men's freestyle, and another mat will be women's, and the other mat will be men's Greco. So it'll be a three-ring circus. <laughs> that's so exciting. It's going to be fun to watch. Well, I mean, I just wanted to take time. First of all, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to come on. I know you're super busy getting these, getting your athletes ready. And I, second of all, I just want to take a second to acknowledge you for, you know, I know so many people like, you know, the listeners that will get on this, Dan, it's like, I know you personally impacted me. Um, you know, Pat, who called me and said, we need to get you on. And so many listeners I know through the years that you've, I know you've impacted thousands and thousands and thousands of athletes. So I just want to say thank you for all, for all your uh, contribution to, to wrestling and to Greco-Roman wrestling, especially in the state of Minnesota. Well, it's uh thank you for your kind words. And uh, it's been uh, a lot of fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, well, first of all, let's start off. I And I want to talk about you a little bit, Dan, and getting your story. Like, tell us a little bit. I, I mean, I know, but just to, for listeners, tell us a little bit about where you grew up, how you got into wrestling. Can you tell us a little bit about, about your story? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I grew up in Champlin. Yep. Uh, I grew up on the Mississippi River. And so as a kid, uh, I had a lot of uh, activities on the river. I, I did canoeing. I won the, with my best friend at the time, I won the Aquitennial canoe race going into my senior year in high school. Wow. And uh, and I used to, uh, when I was a kid, the, the nuclear power plants had not been built yet. And so I could ice skate all the way from my uh, home in Champlin, which is, you know, about a half mile from the Coon Rapids Dam, I could skate all the way into Anoka and back. And the river was like uh, a mirror. It was like, it was smooth as glass. And it was, uh, then I had a toboggan run <laughs> going down the hill <laughs> onto the river. And I did scouting. I was an Eagle Scout. And uh, I went out for wrestling for the first time in eighth grade. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I won my first match and then I lost eight in a row. That was my first year. Wow. Okay. Okay. But I had a great uh, junior high coach. Uh, his name was Rance Howe. And he was an English teacher uh, in the middle school. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I was six foot one and weighed about 105 pounds. I was so skinny. Uh, but he still encouraged me. I think my second year, I maybe was about 500. And he still, he took an interest in me and encouraged me to continue training and uh, then in the, in 10th grade, I was in the middle, in the high school, and I have a real vivid memory. Uh, I was sitting on the bench during practice because I had an injury. They called it Owie Row, and uh, we had just wrestled, the team had just wrestled in the districts, and Coach Malcolm was pretty upset, and yeah, he was giving kind of a lengthy speech, and then he said, uh, all right, you guys, how many of you guys are going to be a district champion next year? And without even thinking twice, I raised my hand and the whole room just erupted in laughter. No. Yeah, no. true story. And wow. so it was pretty embarrassing. It was pretty embarrassing, but uh yeah. I, I had a good group of teammates. Uh Mike Dahlheimer was our captain. Yep. And uh I trained hard with him all summer and the next year I did. I won the districts. And uh then you had to wrestle, you had to place top three in district, top three in region before you could go to state. So I my junior year, I won the district, but I didn't get through the region. So Okay. Okay. And what year was this, Dan? Was that, what year was your junior year, senior year of high school? 
1969. Okay. And that was probably, was it a one class system back then? Yeah. One, one class. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's tough. That's super tough. I can't imagine. Oh, it was unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and then going into your senior and year. And then my senior year, uh, my senior year in high school, I, uh, you know, we didn't get to wrestle that many matches. I was, uh, I think I was 18 and O going into the state tournament. Wow. And I won my first match. I pinned a wrestler from Cooper. And then my next match, I lost to uh, Lyle Frudenberg from Parker's Prairie. Okay. Who, uh, turned out to be one of the all-time great high school coaches in Minnesota. At, uh, he coached at Foley High School for many years. Oh, yes. I wrestled. And then he wound up yeah. taking third. Wow. Yeah. So I didn't get a, a wrestle back. That was it. I won one and lost one. And... Uh, and that was my high school career. Yeah. So and you were just I, uh, getting started. You were just. Wally getting... Johnson recruited me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, back then it was different. You know, we, we had like uh, during the summer, uh, there wasn't a lot of wrestling activities. Yeah. I went to, uh, we had an open gym on one night a week. And uh, there was a guy from Anoka by the name of Grant Nelson. He was an NAIA national champion for St. Cloud State. And he came in and uh, worked with us a little bit. And yeah. uh I went to the University of Minnesota. I wrestled for Wally Johnson for four years, and that's where I was really uh, introduced to uh, Olympic-style wrestling. Wow. And uh, the, the old Minnesota Amateur Wrestling Club used to come in at, right towards the end of the collegiate practice and start their workout. Yeah. And so that's where I, where I first started. I met Alan Rice and a lot of the other Minnesota wrestlers that uh, had a lot of success in Olympic-style wrestling. Oh, my God. So you... Did you graduate from, did you graduate from college in like 1972, 73, or what, when were you getting done with college? Uh, I graduated in the spring of 75. Okay. 75. All right. All right. So you were training with some really, cause I was going back when well, actually me and Pat together, we went back, we were looking at the history of Minnesota storm and some of those early years and I mean, between Alan Rice, you know, the Hayes Winkles, Larry Lydon, there were some, you guys had some really good guys at the beginning of this club. Well, uh, yeah, it's an, that's an understatement. Uh, the first guy from Minnesota, as far as I know, that made the Olympic team was Vern Gagne. Yes. Vern Gagne, uh, you know, made it to the finals of the Olympic trials and he lost to uh, Henry Wittenberg, who had been... Uh, he was a defending Olympic champion, I believe. Wow! And at that at that time, uh, the runner up in Greco in freestyle would wrestle Greco. No so, way! Yeah, so Vern and they and they in the in the Olympics that year were in Great Britain. They were in London. Yeah, and they the whole team was on a like a a cruise ship. <laughs> Nothing compared to what we would recognize as a cruise ship today, but. They yeah. went over there. They trained the whole voyage. And when they got there, the coaches decided that uh, the Greco-Roman team didn't under, didn't weren't familiar enough with the rules and the style, and so they didn't let them compete. And what? Vern was still. I mean, I I spent quite a bit of time with Vern Gagne over the over the years, and yeah. uh, he was still upset that the, he couldn't wrestle in the Olympics. Wow! But he made the team, and then uh, and in 1956. Another U of M wrestler, uh, Alan Rice, yeah. he was a Big Ten champion. He was also a national AAU freestyle champion. He yeah. made the 1956 
Olympic team in uh, Melbourne. Okay. And then he, uh, I think he was in the service for a while. And so he had a lot of exposure to uh, Olympic style wrestling. Yeah. And he decided he was going to, he was living in New York City. Yeah. Uh, he was a stockbroker. And one of the very first people in the United States that started working in options trading. Anyway, he moved back to Minneapolis, and uh, I think they, the, the Minnesota Wrestling Club had their first, uh, they first entered a team in the Nationals in 1962. Okay. Or maybe it was 64. 1964 is the first year they entered a team. And they, he, said, he always said, we got slaughtered. We got <laughs> beat up. And But then in 1968, yeah, uh, three Minnesotans made the Olympic team. It was the two, the Hayeswinkle twins. Yeah, they were alumni of Anoka, as I'm sure you're aware, and uh, Larry Lyde. Wow! And the Hayeswinkles were way ahead of their time. They were so good. Uh, Jim was a four-time NAIA national champion for St. Cloud State, and David was they was too small for the smallest weight class, so he competed in gymnastics the whole time he was in college. Wow. But when they got into uh, world competition, David won two world championships medals. He won a silver medal one year and he won a bronze medal. And they both made two Olympic teams. Oh, my God. That is because. And I tell you what. I'm and not, uh, yeah. Larry Lydon was oh, he was world teams. And he was helped by Gary Neist, who wrestled in uh, high school in Albert Lee. Yeah, and then he was wrestling for the, the WCAP program in the army when he, he beat Larry to make the '72 Olympic team. Wow! And then uh, by this time, you know, we had a lot of guys training in in Greco. Yep. And in 1976, we had six out of the ten weight classes were from the Minnesota Wrestling Club. Oh my God! So they, I mean, yeah, 60 percent of the team was from Minnesota. Yeah, it was. You know, at 114, we had Bruce. Yeah, we had Bruce Thompson at 114. Yeah. Uh, 136 was Gary Alexander from Hopkins. 149 was Pat Marcy from Hopkins. Yep. I was at 180. Evan Johnson was at uh, 198. He was an NCAA champion at the U. Yeah. And uh, 220 Brad Rangans, who was an NCAA champion for North Dakota State. Wow. And uh, it was pretty. Montreal was a great Olympics. Yeah, I mean, talk about that a little bit. Like, talk about Montreal uh, and Brad. Brad Rangans. At Montreal, yeah, Brad Reingans came one match from winning a medal. He beat the wrestler that wound up winning the bronze. Oh. It was under the old black mark system, but he came in fourth, so he didn't medal. Mm-hmm. And uh, my first match, I beat the defending Olympic champion. Wow. So it was, it was pretty exciting. And also our heavyweight uh, beat a defending world champion. So we kind of shocked the world in Montreal. Had a, had a pretty de- had a decent performance. Wow. Um, you know, Dan, I remember going to, I remember when I was at the Olympic Games, it's funny you say that, because I do remember you always telling me as an athlete, like, hey, you know what? One of the best times to beat the best guys is the first match. And, and you did that in 1976. You beat the returning Olympic champ. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it was pretty exciting. The only problem was I, was, I got too, I was overexcited. I couldn't sleep. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> after that match. And then my next match, I had uh, Momir Petkovic. You had Momir the next pat the next match? Yeah, so I had back-to-back Olympic champions. Oh, my God. So 
So you had, who was the guy you had first man? What country was he from? Hungary. Okay. He was Hungarian. He was the, the great Hagadush, Jabba Hagadush. Uh, he was European champion this, the same year. Uh, in 1976, he was European champion. So he was, he was favored to win the Olympics. Okay. Okay. But that was a nine minute match. And the final score was 11 to nine. Oh and we only got one point for takedowns at that time. Oh my god. So it was a wild match. It was a wild match. Yeah, I I took him down. I got one two-point turn yep. and I took him down nine times. Wow. And I think he got a gut wrench on me, but it was, you know, it was the Olympic Village was gorgeous. It was a it was a wonderful Olympics and they had great entertainment there. I remember uh Ella Fitzgerald sang. Yeah. And uh Blood Sweat and Tears, Gordon Lightfoot Chicago. <laughs> so every night there was like a natural amphitheater and the athletes would sit out in the grass and listen to these musicians and artists. So it was a very, it was a very cool games. That's so cool. I mean, and it's funny, like, I remember you telling me, do you still have any of the gear from any, from those Olympics that you were in by any chance or no? I'm sure I've got something. I don't, <laughs> <laughs> I've got my Olympic ring. From, from that time and but most of it you know it gets you know it does it you gets. just have to start throwing stuff away at some point <laughs> yeah yeah it's like how many bins can you hang on to stuff you know i've got my yeah. bins like today today was hat day at school and here comes my little eight-year-old Riker, and he has you know those like golf type hats from the olympics that i got he wore it to right. school and i'm like oh i've never seen that before it's good somebody's wearing it <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so uh, yeah and you actually most people don't realize the amount of gear you get you get you know like a 40 piece wardrobe and then <laughs> another another bag of toothpaste and deodorant and sunglasses and you know who knows what else and you know you wind up having to ship a lot of it home before you go to the games seriously well in fun fact okay because i love trivia who did they have like, you know, corporate sponsors like Polo or Levi? Did was yeah. there that sponsored it back in 76 or who was it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we had <laughs> the sponsor in 76. I'm not 100% sure, but I think it was uh, Sears. No way. That's and awesome. we had like these, uh, our, our parade uniform, they were all like these double knit polyester leisure suits. Yeah. <laughs> and they had... Uh, you know, it was it was it was very cool at the time. You know, we got the you know, like a, a a business suit wearing the opening ceremonies, and they had these leisure suits. And I don't know what where they thought we were going to wear them. I don't think anybody liked them, but uh, yeah, we had another uh, the 1980 games. We were sponsored by Levi Strauss, mm. and so we got a lot of jeans and jean jackets and you know things like that. Western Western wear. That's so cool. Well. And, you know, I have a question for you, Dan, as far as like from a competitor standpoint, not so much a coach as an athlete, like, you know, if you didn't get the gold medal you wanted, right. Did, looking back, what, what were some of the lessons that you learned from the Olympic games, looking back on your career, you know, if you didn't get the medal, but what did, what did you walk away or come away with that helped you serve you in your, in your life? Well, uh, at that time we, we really didn't have a coach in the room. Yeah. We went in and just we we did a lot of uh, as as Fravor, Steve Fraser would call it, we just would do a lot of grinding. You know, we just get go in there, do a lot of live wrestling. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, now nobody wants to, nobody really wants to train that way anymore. The matches are shorter, so you don't need the as much of that type of training. Yeah. But uh, we had a we had a, a core group of like six or seven guys, and we were it grew to be really close. Okay. Best friends for life, and we supported each other, and you know, pulled for each other. And uh, I never could have done it without the group that we had in the room at that time. You know, guys like Pat Marcy, yeah, and Gary Pelsel, and Bruce Thompson, Brian Gus, Brad Ryangans, Evan Johnson. You know, we were uh, Evan retired after after that. I think he wrestled one more year. Yep. But then he became a pilot. Then he started his own company. So he he kind of left after '76. But the other group, we we trained together for five or six years, and we were extremely close. Yeah, and uh, it was a great group. But I I think that that aspect of my training was probably the most important part. Okay. Um, you know, like you're you always have regrets. Yep. Um, we, I, the a huge regret was you know we didn't get to wrestle in the '80 Olympics. Yeah, hundred percent. And and talk about that. Like I know that had I well, first of all, I cannot imagine. And second, I mean, was that that had to be super hard as an athlete, right? I mean, talk- oh, it was it was devastating. Uh, after the seventy six Olympics, I mean, I really was excited about I, wrestling, and I I wrestled in the three world championships between Olympics. So you and, were the guy. It was your spot. It was yeah. your spot. and I, I was I went three and two. All three years, I was like one match from getting into the round robin. They had a black mark system there. It wasn't like a a bracketed tournament. Yeah, they had a bracket, but it was a kind of a, a very complicated system where you you know if you if you won a decision, you got uh, one black mark. If you lost, you got three black marks. If you got pinned, you got four black marks. Okay. If you got if you pinned your opponent, you got zero black marks. When you had six black marks, you're out of the tournament. Wow. So okay. the year before the Olympics. Um, I placed fifth, and so I was really excited. And I remember I went to the uh, the Budapest Grand Prix in in Hungary, and I won the tournament. And I beat a, a guy that had won a bronze medal in the worlds in the finals. Yeah, Mihaly Toma, he's a good friend of mine now. But uh, they had a press conference after the tournament, and I went into the press conference, and we all were sitting at the table. And right away, the first question one of the reporters says, I want to ask a question of, uh, you know, Mr. Chandler. What do you think about President Carter's decision to boycott the Olympics? Oh, no. And I, I said, what? <laughs> oh. And uh, uh, I couldn't believe it. And I was in, in denial. I said, they, they, they won't do that. They, there's no way they would do that. You know, this is going to be my Olympics. <laughs> but uh, that's what happened. And uh, oh, man, there was a lot of talk about the United States hosting some type of an alternate games of peace and freedom, you know, but I think they really, they grossly uh, underestimated the amount of, you know, organization and planning and everything. So nothing ever came of that. We just didn't go to the Olympics. Yeah. They had a week long party for us in Washington, DC. Yeah. That culminated in going to the white house and meeting Jimmy Carter. And that was very interesting. I was going to say, I mean, so you're telling me that guy who cancels the Olympics and then you get to go meet or, you know, the government does, you go meet him. How did that interaction go with some of the athletes meeting the president? (laughs) It was, (laughs) I could talk for a long time about that. It was, 
It was we every athlete on the United States Olympic team was invited. It was it was like a six day event. Uh, one day they had a, Levi Strauss hosted a Texas style barbecue with the electric or the mechanical bulls. Yep. And we had all had these West. We had these. They got gave us these beautiful white Stetson hats and white suede cowboy boots and big belt buckle. I mean, we got a you know we got a nice uh, package, but athletes were extremely pissed off. Hundred percent. There were some that we didn't, you know, some of the, there were a few, uh, some of the gym, some of the, the young girls, they they were just happy to be there. They didn't seem to, some people didn't seem to be that upset about it. Yeah. I know the wrestlers were extremely upset because we had, a, the wrestling team was great. You know, Chris Campbell was on that team and Lee Kemp was on yes. that team and Russ Hellickson was on that team and, you know, all, up and down the line, they, you know, we had a great team. And anyway, we were going, each team went through a reception line to meet Jimmy Carter and Rosalind Carter and yep. their daughter, Amy. And I was, we were kind of waiting in line. I remember there was a track and field athlete that was one of the best in the world at the 1500 meter run. And when he went through the line, he, he was shaking hands with Carter and he wouldn't let go of Carter's hands. And I could tell he was really letting Carter have it. Yeah. And then the, the Secret Service was right there. Of course, they kind of, Nothing physical happened, but they just kind of told him to keep moving. And the, the women's rowing team had designed these these uh, introductory uh, chest patches. You're like, hi, my name's Joe Blow. But it said, uh, I'm here to make sure this never happens again. And then you would write your name right in, right in the middle of the circle. Wow. So we were all wearing those. Uh, not all the athletes chose to wear them, but, you know, I, we were pretty uh, we were pretty militaristic about our, our discontent. Hundred uh, I went through the line with Chris Campbell, and he he made sure he gave one to Jimmy Carter. He wanted him to wear it, and Carter said, "Oh, is this for me? Thank you," and put it in his pocket. But we were very upset. But it was we all, it was nice because we all could commiserate together. Yes, it was a shared. And another night they had a they had a like a party at the Smithsonian. They opened up the Smithsonian just for the Olympic team, and everybody on the Olympic team could bring two guests from anywhere in the world and the Olympic committee flew them in. Wow. So I brought my mother and my, my girlfriend at the time and they got to do all these activities with us. Yeah. And then the last night of the, uh, of the uh, stay in Washington, they had a gala at the Kennedy center wow. and uh, Patty LaBelle performed and Irene Cara, uh, <laughs> the Lennon sisters were there Wow, uh, you're, you're probably too young to know who they are. Oh no, I, you're gonna laugh. I like Gordon Lightfoot. That's my guy. I love Chicago. You said those bands. I listen to a lot of old music, so I'm all about. Hey, it. The, the Gordon Lightfoot premiered direct of the Edmund Fitzgerald at the uh, Olympic Village. <laughs> no way, that's a great song. That's a great. Yeah, song. yeah. I love. So anyway, it. the last night was a gala with all these. There were some other movie stars there from Mash and. Uh, can't remember right now off the top of my head, but it was that was fun, and you know, and then we got three big meals a day, and you know, just a lot of partying. But it was, uh, you know, it was sad, and I, I, I had a chip on my shoulder for so many years. And I remember I came home from work the yeah. day that the results were in the newspaper, and uh, the guy, you know, I had I had been in in the four, five, and sixth place in the worlds for three years. Yeah, it took yeah. a six, a six, and a fifth. And the two other guys that were always in that same grouping with me, one was from Poland and one was from Bulgaria. Yep. 
those two guys both jumped in and won medals in in Moscow. Oh <laughs> so my I saw, god! Saw the results. I just, I just cried. I, I mean, I, I wish I could have gone just to watch it, even if I couldn't have competed. But I felt, you know, a sense of well, God, good for those guys. They they jumped in and they knocked off a couple other guys that had been, you know, gold or silver or bronze in the in the world championships for three years. But uh, yeah. Yeah, and I, I was so mad at Jimmy Carter for so many years, but you know, I met him one time many really? years after that, and then I introduced myself and I told him I was on the 1980 Olympic team, and he said, You know, that was a that was a huge mistake. Oh I my never should have done that. I never should have done that because you know, we thought we were gonna hurt the Russians by embargoing their grain. They sold it to Brazil. Our corporate people all bought the Bought it from Brazil, from from Russia through Brazil, and the whole thing. And I've really come to admire him, you know, because of all his nonprofit work over the years. You know, and he had a Habitat for Humanity. Yep. And he was a carpenter by trade. Okay. And uh, he built houses for homeless people for you know twenty five years. Wow. So he did some good things. So I mean, I I I admire him and I've forgiven him, but you know, it was a okay. tough time. Yeah. It was a tough well, time. Well, and I was going to say too, like, and, and you tell me, Dan, I mean, in your, all your, well, one, your experience as a competitor, but as a world-class coach, do you believe the scars that we have as athletes? Do you, do you feel like they ever go away? Can you heal from them? Or, or what do you, what do you speak? Talk about mental or physical? Ah, uh, <laughs> mental. One's like the, the, the hard loss. Yeah, you know, time, you know, Jake, time heals all wounds. Yep. You know, you can always look back and say, God, I should have, I should have done this. I should have done that. I could have beat that, that guy. I wish I could go back and do it over again. But, you know, that's, that's all folly. You, you can't do it. And at some point in time, you know, you had to come to peace with yourself and, you know, you, you had a, you had a shot and just, it's not always about the results. It's about the trip. You know, it's about the friends you make, about the experiences you have, yes. the people you meet and, you know, things like that. That's the beauty. That's, and that's the juice, you know, it's, it's so funny. Like, and at first of all, I appreciate it. Cause that's awesome insight. It's like, sometimes I think we, we set, especially for these high performers, you set your mark and you set your goals and you have big dreams and you do everything you can. But I think we forget to enjoy that journey sometimes. Or like you said, the friends we make along the way, you know, you just don't, it's, um, it's right in front of you the whole time, you know, you are correct. It's, uh, it's uh, it's easy to you know to lose that perspective when you have a disappointing result, um, you know, and that happens to all of us. You know, I mean, it does there's a lot of bad things. I mean, you, the, I'm sure you're aware, but you know, the the officiating, yep. the international referees group is so corrupt. Yeah. That's one of the reasons we almost lost the wrestling from the Olympics. Yeah. Wrestling can be the results that can be, you know, the a referee can be so subjective, you know, they can help one wrestler by just doing some small thing. Yeah. And uh, so that's, you know, a lot of times, like, especially as a coach, I'd come right away from the world championships and I just couldn't believe some of the things that happened, you know? Yes. Yes. Um, well, and you tell me, like, I remember Steve Frazier talking about, the year we won our Greco world title, was that 2006 or seven? Do you remember? 2007. Yeah. And I remember him talking about 
behind closed doors was that somebody was trying to pay somebody off. Maybe like Russia was trying to pay Cuba off. And you guys had to basically go in there and split it up. Be like, no, 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 no. You wrestle your match. Was there, have you, I mean, there's things like that that have gone on, unfortunately. Well, I know exactly what happened. <laughs> because if uh, in the championship match at heavyweight, if uh, it was Turkey against uh, Lopez. Yes, from Cuba. Michael Lopez against the, the Turk. And if the Turk won the match, they would win the world championships. Yes. If the Cuban won the match, we win the world championships. Yes. And and Cuba, the Cubans, you know, it's, it's the poorest country in the world. Yep. Uh, you know, their reward quite often isn't to win the gold medal. It's to get in the finals and win the silver medal and get an envelope in their room after the match is over. Okay. And so quite often, you know, those, those guys have no money. You know, they might get as much as ten or $15,000 or who knows, maybe more than that to, to give a match away. Yeah. Anyway, we knew the Turk. We knew the Turks were trying to buy the match because that that guy. I, we we were pretty sure that Lopez had had sold him a match a year or two earlier. Yeah. Uh, and so our team leader John Bardis went behind closed doors. I don't really know what happened behind closed doors. You know, maybe maybe there's a bidding war. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> anyway, Lo Lopez did not take the bribe, and he won. And our team won, and it was. Pretty phenomenal that you know our Greco team, which has always been an underdog, yeah, disrespected by a lot of people in the United States and by our even by our national governing body. We actually won the worlds, and uh, still one of my greatest memories. Yeah. So yeah, that but you know that's it's part of the part of big the picture. There's so many things happening at a world championship or well, Olympic games, even more. Yeah. I mean, and it's unfortunate, so, like listening to Lopez, I mean, Lopez, I mean, he's a four-time Olympic gold medalist and I heard he might even be coming back this year. Like that's on, that guy shouldn't, when he wants to win, he's going to win. <laughs> yeah. I think he is planning on wrestling. That's from what I've heard. He's going to, he's going to be in Paris. Do you know, have you ever seen a, has there ever been a five-time Olympic gold medalist? Has it ever happened in wrestling? Not in wrestling. That's unbelievable. I mean, that's you know, what's his name? Uh, Michael Phelps has won a lot of gold medals in swimming, but they have too many events. Give they me have a so break. many events. So many events. <laughs> we have a bunch yeah, of guys fighting for a couple medals, two, three medals. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's a joke. <laughs> you know, it's like if they had, if we had, uh, if it was uh, equ equitable, we would have an Olympics for a two minute match, a four minute match, a six minute match, 10 minute match, maybe a yeah. 20 minute match. Yeah. uh tag teams you know relays uh you know and so michael phelps no question he's a great swimmer but you know he he won all those gold medals only because there was an opportunity i mean yes. how many gold medals could would correlative one or bruce Baumgartner or any of our great wrestlers if they had you know tag team or you know different lengths of matches or some some other similar categories. Yes. Well, and, and before I get into you transitioning into the realm of coaching, Dan, I did just want to touch, like, I live in St. Michael right now. Me and my wife and kids have for coming up on 10 years. I was in a neighborhood actually working this summer, and here I ran into Chaz Betts, right? And you coach both of us. Oh, yeah. 
He looks great. I mean, he's in better shape now than I've ever seen him. And he's a movie star. He's a movie star. I can you talk a little bit, and and we don't have to get too far off, but I just wanted to ask, like, talk about the connection with these Greco guys and how so many of them get into the pro wrestling. Can you talk a little bit about the history of that? Or I mean, I know it's just well, my uh, you know, the the first connection was uh when Brad Rangans went into professional wrestling. Cause I, I remember in 1976, you know, like I, I mentioned earlier, we had six Minnesotans on the team and we were in the Olympic village and we we're just talking about how we got started. And every one of us initially had an interest in wrestling because Vern Gagne was on TV. He was yeah. a university of Minnesota NCAA champion. And his, his uh, gimmick was he was a scientific wrestler because he had wrestled in college and, you know, most of the heels at that time were just coming out and punching and kicking. And Vern, you know, he would do a duck under and he could hit all these slick, you know, moves that were derived from collegiate wrestling. Yes. And so he was always, you know, he got, uh, or, you know, there's quite a few other pro wrestlers that were in, the, in it the same time as Vern that had an amateur background also. So he was always trying to, draw some local guys and so he got Vern guy and Vern got Brad Ryan to go in and he had Evan Johnson go into it and uh and Chaz I remember when I first met Chaz I think when he was like in eighth grade he won some type of a contest and he got to go to a a summer camp or some type of an, an event where they they taught the kids how to do pro wrestling and they were like high school age or middle school age and they were in the ring learning how to do pro wrestling so at an early age chads had already you know found uh, a, a big interest in doing that yeah <laughs> and uh just the fact that he was able to do it even though he was a he's a smaller guy comparatively uh there's a lot of smaller guys in professional wrestling now because the the the, the business has changed so much from you know Used to be if you didn't weigh 230, 240, you you really couldn't go into pro wrestling. But yes. He always expressed an interest in doing that. And uh, you know, he was a state champion. He went to northern Michigan, made yep. the Olympic team, and went into pro wrestling. So I he's and he I, I actually I introduced him for a few guys. Uh, you know, Jim Jim Raschke, who was Baron von Raschke, he won a he won a bronze medal of the world championships in Greco. Wow. And he won the Olympic trials, but sustained an injury when and was unable to go to the Olympics. And wow. so he went into pro wrestling short shortly after that. But he was a he was a big eight champion, wrestled for Nebraska. And then uh, some other guys, Joe Scarpello wrestled for Iowa and Danny Hodge for Oklahoma. So quite a few guys went that route. That's so cool. As a, Well, and it's funny, like. I was just actually looking at the WWE, you know, with the new college rules and how they've changed with this NIL stuff. I've actually seen where they're recruiting college athletes now. So like a Gable Stevenson or how, you know, you see so many wrestlers that transition either into MMA or into that. So it's just, it's a cool connection. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, there used to be a lot of animosity by amateur wrestlers towards professional because it, it so many people, uh thought it was real yes and and uh, now i think more people realize that it's entertainment yep region regional theater it's you know i love I, I love pro wrestling my my sons took me to a match 
a couple of years ago, and I couldn't believe how much it had changed and and stayed the same in some ways at the same time. Yeah, hundred hundred percent. Well, yeah, it's it's neat, and I mean, why you know, just even talking Greco, right? Greco Roman wrestling. I know. You were, well, first of all, you were my first, essentially, you were my first Greco coach. You do those Wednesday night practices and have forever. And I know it's an amazing, but how would you explain the benefits of Greco to, to our listeners, to kids that are growing up? Because I, I mean, from my perspective, obviously I love it so much and I'm super passionate about it. And the time that I was able to do it, my health was good. It was so much fun. But talk about, I mean, you always explained it so well. Talk about the benefits of Greco a little bit. Well, uh, primarily, you know, it's, it's, it's so fundamental. It's such a fundamental basic style of wrestling. Uh, a lot of countries in Eastern Europe don't have, they have their Greco is much more de developed than freestyle. Yep. And I know a lot of clubs and associations in the, in the old, uh, you know, USSR or Russia, they start doing Greco, wow. uh, just so they can learn the, hand fighting and pummeling skills yep. because those, those are probably the main thing that, that really transfer over into freestyle. Yeah. And the thing about Greco is, you, you know, you'll, you'll in free in freestyle or folk style, you've got five areas of attack, left leg, right leg, right arm, left arm and the head. Yeah. Right. Yep. In Greco, you eliminate two of those. So you have a lot less, a lot fewer options. So it's much, much harder to score. In yeah. Greco-Roma, therefore, you have to develop better technical skills. Yes. But once the other thing is, I, I, I'm a firm believer that Greco is just a lot more fun. It's a it's an open style. You can you have more freedom of movement. Yes. You're not cringing down, you know, in a half squat, blocking with your head, and you know, you can just go right after. You can get right into it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Chest to chest. Start snapping their head and two on one underhooks, twisting. You know, it's very physical yep. style. It is extremely physical, and so I mean, a lot of kids uh, like it better. And I think it's once you've wrestled wrestled Greco, I mean, it's freestyle, a totally different package, but it's it's got a lot of similarities. Yep. But I think just the uh, your ability to learn how to control shoulders arms and the head yep and the fact that you're you kind of develop a sense for you know i'm going all out i'm not holding back i'm not you know i'm not blocking with my head and backing up and staying low i'm just chest to chest and i'm going as hard as i can so yeah a lot of people just like that aspect very physical style yes it's almost like a go for broke you know i remember you talking to us how it's like a controlled street fight you know i think there is that aspect to it a little bit that's what makes it fun oh definitely definitely it is just a it's 100 percent totally physical yes and a lot of you know and and we suffer because it's 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 a lot more fun to do it than to watch <laughs> you know, yeah, so. yes agreed agreed any style any style of wrestling you know, it's like if you're if you're a college wrestling fan, you have to riding time is terrible. Yes. You go to the NCAA tournament and you see these guys, you know, trying to hold the other guy down. It's so it's terrible for the sport. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's wrestling is a it's a it's a participant sport more than a spectator sport. And if you've done it before, great. You appreciate 
Yeah. But to the average person, you know, <laughs> it's hard to hard to enjoy. I mean, let's face it, professional wrestling is a lot more entertaining than amateur. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. You get the theatrics involved, and I I yeah. do feel like. You know, I remember back in the Olympics in 2008, we had the ball grab, two out of three periods. The rules were kind of different. I Do you feel like the rules are in a good spot right now with where they're at as far as promoting scoring and in action? So do you feel like no. we're in a good spot or can it get better? It's, it's, it's still bad. That it, it's really bad for Greco because they've eliminated a lot of uh, wrestling. Now it's like, you know, the, first, the, the guys are almost trying to get down, be caught first so if i come out and stall and they put me down and i can defend i'm behind one to nothing and then the second period they're going to warn the other guy if everything else is equal just and him put him down if i can't score i still get that point it's a tie match but i scored last so i win oh so that's an element that's really bad and and what's it makes it especially bad for for americans is now that it's there's so much emphasis on parterre you know, it's it, that's our weakness. We're not as good at parterre offense or parterre defense. Yeah. So we're we're suffering in competition, and uh, you know that's that's uh, one of the reasons we're not doing as well now internationally. When oh. it used to be all, it used to be nine minute match. There's you would never be in parterre unless you got a takedown. Then you had a you know thirty seconds to work on top. But when I was competing, a lot of a lot of the freestyle guys did both styles. Oh. You know, I had you know I had uh, Mark Schultz entered the nationals in my weight. Uh, yeah. Jim, Jim Shear entered the nationals in my weight. You know, I wrestled Mark Johnson. He was a two-time Division One finalist. Uh, Mike yeah. Bradley, Jim Tannehill. Yeah. Uh, you know, so a lot of guys wrestled both styles now because of the rules. It's it's so hard to score in parterre. Yeah. People always say the hardest thing to do in sport is to hit a is to hit a pitch from yep. a good pitcher. I challenge any of those people to try to pick somebody up off the floor while they're wiggling and kicking and crawling and trying to knock you off balance and pick them up and throw them right over your head. That's got to be yeah. What what could be harder than that? Hitting <laughs> a baseball? Give me a break. Well, and it is funny you say because I remember, you know, as a Greco guy, you know, we are always in right. We're doing our cleans. We're doing clean and press you're doing all your olympic lifts and it's like like you said i always equated to try to tell people like what's it like it's like okay now take now imagine you're doing a clean from the ground with the bar that weighs as much as you do at your own body weight but now the bar is moving and it's wiggling and it's dead weight and it's you're right it's and all so the weight all the weights on one side of the bar and can change to the other side anytime yes and it's like Okay, now you start to understand that's, but oh my God, like, you know, when that's you, a good analogy. Yeah, that's a good analogy. That's about what it is. Yeah, but it's like, oh my God, when you do get that guy up and you lift him and you get a big lift. I mean, I, I remember that I just like, I don't know if there's a better feeling. I just love that. It's just, it's like such a fun feeling getting a guy up, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really is. And, uh, but, uh, you know, we've had a lot of success uh, over the years. You know, the uh, I've been really blessed to have guys like, you know, the, the Kozlowski twins and the Morgan brothers. Yeah. Well, and talk about getting and, into uh, coaching, Dan. What year did you officially, 
you know, after was it after 84? Was it when did? Yeah, after 84, I retired and I immediately, uh, by default, became the coach. I still train. I was still training because I just loved, you know, going in the room and wrestle. So, I mean, I, I trained really hard for another 10 years after I retired just so I could be a training partner. Yeah. Uh, like John Morgan was the first guy. I, I mean, in uh, shortly after the Olympics, I got hired as a head coach at St. Thomas University. Yeah. And uh, John Morgan was my assistant coach, and he made the 88 Olympic team. Wow. So amazing. And you had to be a huge part of that. You probably wrestled him every day in the room, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We we wrestled every day for many for many years. And then he made, he was on two or three world teams. And then Marty and Gordy. Yeah. And, talk uh, about the Morgan brothers a little bit. And, and talk about John and Gordy. Well, you know, I, I first uh, – <laughs> the Morgans had a wrestling mat for the summer at their home in Bloomington. So a couple of times, John wanted me to go out there and we roll out the mat and Marty was like a junior in high school. Yeah. So we'd all, we'd all wrestle. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, then Gordy went to the, was it the U? He was a big 10 champion. Of course, Marty had phenomenal success and he was an Olympic alternate. That was one of my biggest disappointments when, uh, Marty got got screwed so bad in the Olympic finals against in 96, uh, Dan right? Henderson, who went went on to be a you know a great MMA competitor. Yep. Um, you know, then then you know Garrett Lowney was was a great thrill. Yes, it was uh. a great. Ellen Krellen came here for a while and trained with us for a week one time, and we had a party at my house. And no way, what was he uh, like? What was Mike Foy I mean, was another great that. competitor. Uh. What was Alexander Karelin like? Uh, he was a very mellow guy, very oh. intelligent. He wrote poetry, spoke English, um, pretty intellectual. Oh. And he was very, he, they were here for the Halloween blizzard of, I uh, can't remember what year it was, but they about a, about a yard of snow dropped overnight. Wow. And he came out of my porch and he just said, oh, very impressive. <laughs> but it did it, it snowed on halloween night it snowed three feet and 1991 dan everybody was close 1991 that one was 91 yeah so it was fun having him here though my, my kids are both young and then he would go to practice and i remember you know mike foy was there jim richardson he wrestled everybody in the room for ellen yeah. did and just really? smaller guys too because everybody wanted to get a hold of him <laughs> And he was great. He was just a perfect gentleman, really nice. And uh, actually, Vern Gagne had brought him over yeah, because he wanted to talk to him about going into pro wrestling. And while he's in the United States, the Dallas Cowboys uh, talked to him also about you know being an offensive lineman, I think. Oh, my God. You know, Dan, there's that picture of him after he won, was it Worlds or Olympics, and he was flexing, or he was lifting a guy. He's lifting a guy, and it's like, Train like a madman poster. I mean, yeah. Oh, Joe Rogan's. I mean, this poster, it's like, I don't know if there's somebody that makes you want to fear a human being more than that guy. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. He was he was scary. I remember the first uh, first Olympics he won were in was in Korea and Seoul. And George Steinbrenner, George Steinbrenner, at that time he was on the Olympic committee and he was the owner of the Yankees. He'd come to the wrestling every day just to watch Corellan. No way. And, uh, and uh, Corellan, was he was, I, I, you know, I was, I was happy for our team, that you know, that Rulon 
won that match. Yep. Because what a phenomenal result, you know. I mean, yes. I was I was named head coach for the 2000 team, and everybody kept asking, "How many gold medals are you going to win, coach?" And I don't be in the in the Olympiad the three years leading up to Sydney, we hadn't won a medal. Oh my God! Wow. And so I'm just thinking to myself, God, I'll be I will be overjoyed if we win one medal, you know. But the training camp. Everything came together. We had a great training camp in Australia. We had some phenomenal athletes on that team. You know, Lindland and Lowney and, and Gardner. And then we had, you know, Quincy Clark. And we had uh, Grunewald and yeah. Keith Sims. We had a good team. And we and uh, I remember Rulon was working out with some, an extra guy we had over there as a training partner. The guy accidentally headbutted Rulon. Rulon <laughs> says, oh, you want to play that way, huh? And then he just pounded the heck out of this poor kid. And then Pavel Katzen and I were standing there. And Pavel turns to me and he says, I can smell the metal. <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, you know, Rulon, Rulon came through. And, you know, it, and actually that, that day, Rulon was done with his side of the bracket. So he didn't have to wrestle that morning. Wow. But Karellen had to wrestle two matches the morning of the finals. Oh, really? Well, and just for our listeners, Dan is talking about, you know, one of the biggest Olympic upsets ever when Rulon Gardner from the United States beat Alexander Karelin in the Olympic finals in 2000 in Sydney. I mean, that's unbelievable. That had to be amazing to be a part of. It was. It was, uh, you know, it, when I look back, sometimes I wonder, what's the, what was the greatest thing in my coaching career? Yeah. That was definitely right up there. You know, it was just, it was so incredible that we had that level of success we came in third behind russia and cuba and here the rest of the world was just stunned to hear two you know everybody always think oh the western hemisphere you know that's all the good guys are in asia and europe yeah cuba was second we were third and if we would have won one more match we would have won the if uh keith sims had a sudden death overtime match against japan yep. which he lost yep it was like a tie match. He lost on a referee's decision. If we win that match, we would have won the Olympics that year. Oh, my. Wow. That's amazing, Dan. Well, and I mean, I remember Lowney. I remember being a kid watching Garrett Lowney. Was it in the semis when he fived that guy to end the match? It was like it was it was like, oh, my God, that guy was an Olympic champ, too. Right. No, he was a five time world champion. <laughs> He's a head coach of their national team right now. But. You know, people always show that uh, that clip of Chris Taylor getting thrown by Wilhelm Dietrich in uh, Munich. Yeah. They say, oh, this is the greatest throw in Olympic history. Not even close. <laughs> you know, Chris, Chris Taylor was a novice. He didn't know anything about Greco, hardly. I mean, he had, he had yeah. won a couple of national titles, but he weighed 450 pounds, so who couldn't beat him in a Greco match, you know? Yes, and for exactly. Lowney, Lowney had just had just turned, I think he had just turned 20. He was okay. just a kid. And the referees really screwed him too. He he uh he countered an arm throw beautifully by coming out to the front and then scrambling behind to get a takedown. Yeah. And then he got a gut wrench. So he was ahead three to nothing. Well, they put Lowney down towards the end of the match, which cost him a point. And then the guy uh Gogi, his name was uh, uh, he couldn't turn him and Lowney's defense was perfect and the referee called a leg foul on Lowney to tie the match my god 
my head just about exploded. <laughs> I was so mad. I was so upset, so pissed off because this guy had just blatantly screwed Lowney. Yeah. I remember I was yelling at him from the corner. I said, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> I was so mad. <laughs> you were fighting for your guy. You were fighting for your guy. Oh, I mean, it was just a, a job, you know. And so they go on to sudden death. And guy's a five-time world champion. Lowney gets one of the most beautiful waist tackles, comes up right into a back to play with no hesitation, plants him right on the nape of his neck. It was the most beautiful, and it was the greatest wrestlers on the Russian team. Oh, my God. You know what, Dan? I'm going to put, when we do the show notes on this, I'm going to put a link to that throw in the show notes. Because <laughs> people need to yeah. see it. People need yeah, to see it. A lot of pe- I talk to people all the time about wrestling, and a lot of people that are have been wrestling for years and I, I consider to be very knowledgeable have never that clip. Yeah. It's the most dynamic, most incredible throw you're ever going to see. You'll never see anything better than that. Well, I'm going to put it in the show notes just for all our listeners to check it out. And hey, I don't I don't want to skip over this. And I know you had mentioned his name, two names. Talk about Mike Foy and the Klaslowski brothers. I want to talk about those guys a little bit as well. I don't want to skip them. No, they shouldn't be skipped because they're incredible. Well, the Kozlowskis, you know, they're identical twins. They're from Dolan, South Dakota. Yeah. Um, they went to the University of Minnesota, Morris, who at that time had a pretty good Division Three program. Yes. Uh, and they wrestled there like uh, one was, you know, like the, I think the biggest weight class then was like 190. So one of them was, I think Dwayne was heavyweight and Dennis was 190. And they, and I think they both might have sat out one year so the other one could. They both won that tournament a couple of couple of times. And then uh, Morris is right out by where Brad Ryan is. He's from Appleton. It's right near Appleton. Yeah. And so he heard about him and he went and worked out with him a few times. Says, you guys got to get down to Minneapolis and train with uh, Dan Chandler. And uh, well, I'll tell you, you know, and, and at that time, Dennis Kozlowski had uh, Greg Gibson in his way. Yep. Who's another one of the greatest American wrestlers. He won. He won medals in. Won Olympic medals. He won an Olympic medal in Greco. He won a world championship in freestyle, and he won a world championship in sambo, which is a Russian style of jacket wrestling. But yeah, and he lost to him about five times. The first time he got tech falled. Maybe the second time he got got beat by you know eight or nine points, and the next time he got beat by. And I I said you know you're getting closer every time. You can beat him. You can you can you can beat him, and you can be a world champion. And uh, I don't know if he believed me at the time or not. Yep. I don't know if, I, but you know, that's what you got to say. Yeah. And uh, sure enough, he and and they had the, and they had a couple of tie matches to determine who went to the '84 Olympics. And they kind of they they decided since Kozlowski was young and Gibson was kind of this was he was 32, I think it was going to be his last year. They gave the matches to Gibson, so he made the Olympic team. And then the next over the next. 88, uh, Dennis won a bronze medal, and Dwayne, I think, was a heavyweight on the team. And then in 92, Dennis won a silver medal. Sudden death overtime match against uh, oh. against the great Cuban. Yeah. Of course, I can't remember his name right now. <laughs> and then he also, Dennis also won a silver medal in the world championships. Wow. That's amazing. 
Um, great. They were just great. I mean, they had to, they had great training partners because they were <laughs> they lived together and they were identical twins and they uh, they trained super hard. And I think out of all the guys I've coached, um, there were probably a few guys that might have had more athletic ability than Kozlowski, like maybe Foy or Martinez or yeah Bounty. But Kozlowski's he was you know for big guy and usually I mean I hate to say this, but a lot of times that the big guys aren't the most astute uh, technical technicians, you know, but he yeah. was very technical. He okay. was a student of the sport. Yep. When he retired, he retired between 88 and 92 and they made him the national coach. Wow. And then he came out of retirement to win the silver medal. Unbelievable. Dan. And Dwayne was very good also, but he was at the, he was at the heavier weight yep. and he had to wrestle Corellan. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And I think he got injured in that match. He hurt his oh. shoulder. And he had a default down place. Oh no! And Mike Foy was another guy. I mean, they uh, Garrett Lowney's nickname was the Freak, but Foy was another guy that was a was freaky athleticism. I, I remember you Mike telling me, Dan, dollar athlete in a thousand dollar sport. <laughs> you so told quick, me he had the best. So backer. powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was uh, he was a great wrestler, great personality. Um, and back then, you know, he he did not wrestle. He was he trained in the room every day, but he wrestled for Sunkiss because at that time we didn't have any money to pay him oh. a stipend, and Sunkiss kids paid him. Okay, okay. And, uh, and he actually uh, he beat Mike Hauk to make the '88 Olympic team. I didn't know that. Well, and that's the crazy. And that was after Mike had been a Mike was a Mike was the 1985 world champion. Yeah, and. Uh, Mike Hulk was, and then Mike Foy beat him to make the uh, the 88 Olympic team. Oh, my God. Talk and in 1989, Mike uh, Mike made the world finals in, in Switzerland, but he lost uh, to uh, Mike Bowman from Germany. Okay. But uh, great, uh, great members of our fraternity of uh, Greco-Roman wrestlers. Man, what? so many, so many. I just feel I felt so blessed to have the quality of athletes. A lot of them came off the University of Minnesota team. You know, I was just sitting back. I I was an assistant coach at the university for quite a few years. Yeah, and I always tell the guys, you know, you can make an Olympic team, and if you continue to train after you, your collegiate eligibility is up. So amazing. And Mike Foy, Jim Martinez is another guy who was a freak, yeah, natural athlete. Yeah, he was like a cat. He always landed on his feet. And uh, I remember one time we went to the had an Olympic festival. Yep. And to get into the Olympic festival, in one day he beat Andy Ryan and Chuck Yagala. Wow. They were both on the uh, '84 Olympic team. He beat both of them in freestyle. What? Yeah, and he made the he won the Greco and he entered freestyle also, and he beat Yagala and Ryan and Andy Ryan. And in the same day, Ryan was an Olympic silver medalist in Los Angeles, and Yagala was on the boycott team in 1980 and a you know a two or three time NCAA champion. Yeah, and Ryan was an NCAA champion. Martinez placed third in the NCAA's twice. Wow! Yeah, he was so a lot of great memories. A lot of great, a lot of great guys just came off the U of M team. Yeah, well, and it's funny, Dan. Like it's so cool. Well, first of all, I, I'm I was talking to Pat Smith as we were getting this together and I want to, my, my goal is I'm going to reach out to each and every one of those guys and get everything. And I didn't even talk about Mike Hauk yet. 
I got to talk yeah. about Mike Howell. I know. I was going to say, we, we can't. Brought, yeah. <laughs> Alan Rice brought this young kid. He was in high school to practice. Oh, this is Mike Howell. He's wrestling at Robbinsdale. He wanted to try Greco-Roman. Well, yeah. okay, some young kid, you know, I'll beat him up. And he was so strong. He was like a mature man when he was like 18. So strong. And uh, and then to win the, yeah, I think he made a world team when he was, he made a couple of world teams and uh, lost to Steve Fraser to make the 84 Olympic team. Oh, and that was and that was a great series. I heard so it's such like, a disappointment. I think they had to go three matches, and the matches, yeah, yeah, and uh, so I, it was a tremendous disappointment for him. But then you know when when Fraser won the Olympics and beat Frank Anderson, something clicked in Mike Hawk's brain. Yeah, uh, and the next year, I mean, he to win the world championships was much more difficult than Fraser's Olympic championship because the, the eastern block boycotted the los angeles games yes that's right that's right i don't know if you knew that or not but we I the did. west boycotted the moscow olympics four years later he had to be you know he beat the russian he beat the bulgarian he beat the romanian he you know he beat all these good guys to make win the worlds it was just incredible unbelievable and then mike Huck also became a national coach First three national coaches they, that they had in USA Wrestling, the first guy they hired was Gordy Morgan. Yep. Second guy they hired was, uh, I think, was Hulk. And then the last last guy they hired was, uh, I can't remember the order. It was either Kozlowski and Hulk were hired back-to-back. I can't remember which one they hired first and which one. And I think they hired Hulk when Kozlowski re- retired from yeah. the coaching. But uh, and so many great Minnesota kids that were great athletes and really loved wrestling and Put in the time, did the repetition, did the cross string. They did everything right, and they had some great results. And here's an and here's another one I like to tell people: between 1984 and 2000, our Greco family in Minnesota won five Olympic medals. Oh my! In that same time frame, you know who won more? You know who won more medals than the Minnesota family of Greco wrestlers? Who? One country. Russia is the only entity that won more Olympic medals than the guys that were training at the University of Minnesota wrestling room. Oh, my God. That is an amazing, amazing. Isn't it? Jim Martinez Martinez won an Olympic medal in 84. Dennis Kozlowski in 88. Uh, In 92, Kozlowski won another medal. In 96, Brandon Paulson won his medal. And in 2000, Garrett Lowney. Those are our five Olympic medals. Oh, that's amazing, Dan. That is amazing. It really is. I mean, when I think about that, I just thought, how is that even, how did that happen? Right, only Russia had more medals than our group training at the U. Unbelievable. And like you said, I think it goes back to who you surround yourself with. Like you said at the beginning of this, like you look back on the experiences and talk about a special group, you know, even out of, and I don't, I know there's so much to cover and so many people but like that 1996 group you had, I mean, Brandon was my mentor, right? And I know he was a big part of my journey, but out of that, you had Brandon, who's still coaching. You had Gordy, you had Zuniga, you had Marty. You had such, you had a good group in 96 as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We had, we've had a lot of, a lot of great guys that you were, you know, right. Everything goes in cycles. And right now, you know, we're in kind of a, a down cycle because of the rules. It's harder for us to, be competitive. I mean, 
at least once a week the guys come into the room we say okay we're going to do 50 lifts and i and i keep emphasizing it's all about repetition you just got to keep doing the reps and the other thing that that kind of hurts is that uh you know the regional training sites now there's a lot of a lot of nil money yeah for freestyle guys that the college coaches want to train with their collegiate athletes yeah and so yeah. there's a lot of money going into freestyle that we don't have access to in Greco. So yep. it is what it is. And we're still going to be successful. We've got a great group right now. And I'm kind of wild. The corner of my eye, I'm kind of watching where the Olympic qualifier for Greco, the Pan American Olympic qualifier is going on today. And we yep. have to get in the top two in every weight to qualify for the Olympics in those weight classes. Yes. That's a huge deal. Dan. It's a huge, it's a huge deal. day today. It's a huge, huge thing for our Olympic team. Well, like Pat said, when I was talking to him last week, he's like, I mean, to be honest, the guys that qualify the weight for the Olympic Games, those are those guys are heroes, and they don't always make the team, as you well know. That's true. You know, that's really true. That happened in two thousand when the year we had the great Olympics in two thousand. A couple of our best guys they peaked for that Olympic qualifier, and they and they didn't recover in time to win the Olympic trials. Yeah. So I mean. It's a big event. It's down in San Acapulco. They're wrestling right now as we speak. Amazing. Amazing. Well, and Dan, too, and part of this storm series was giving back. I know, I know that the people that get on and jump on and listen to this are gonna have you've made again, you've given so much to the sport of Greco. I mean, there where can people if they want to go on and give? Is that the MTC Storm website or where can people get connected and follow? Yeah, there's a the MTC website. MTC Storm website, there's a link to where you can make a donation, and we appreciate donations. They're tax deductible, and you will get a receipt in the form of a thank you note with all the in, all the appropriate information you need for the IRS. But, yeah, we'd appreciate a donations. We're always uh, scratching for cash. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I, I appreciate it. Yeah, so you guys heard it here, mtcstorm.com. Yep. And I know – Dan, Dan, I again, I just I can't tell you how grateful I am, and you know how much you've given the sport of wrestling. We are everybody I know, just speaking for everyone, is so grateful, and um, you know, well, I think I really appreciate your kind words. I'm humbled by it, and I, it's been a great experience for me because I've gotten to meet all these uh, young high school kids that you know have a dream. Yeah. I've been able to work with a lot of them and, and college guys. And, you, you know, it's, it's like, uh, you know, I listened to your podcast with Mark Schwab and a lot of talk about, you know, being grateful and gratitude, but it's, it's true. It's, it's so prevalent in our sport that you, you don't get there by yourself. No, you don't. You got to have training partners. You've got to have coaches. You've got to have, you know, people that are uh, helping you in any way they can, whether it be funding, teaching, Olympic job opportunities, uh, the the many people who help us that are in the medical field, uh, because, you know, wrestling's a tough sport. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of injuries and guys getting banged up and bruised and, and concussed. And so the, the people that help us make it through the through the day and through the night, you know, God bless them also. hundred percent. Well, and Dan, you know, I know, we were talking a little bit before we started the interview about the Minnesota. Well, well, one, we got the Pan American Games. You've got Olympic qualifiers. We've got the high school state tournament, right? We've got people that are chasing their lifelong dreams right now as we speak. 
what advice do you have for the athletes? You know, is just any quick knowledge or, you know, something you could tell them to, to get them excited or what they should be focusing on? Well, first of all, if they're not excited, they might be in the wrong field. <laughs> you know, it, it, 99% of it, it, you have to have a passion for the sport. I, every day I see, you know, some, it, 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 this is another one. I, I loved your interview with Mark Schwab because he really told it like it is. I mean, if you don't love it, you don't, you shouldn't be doing it. Yes. You've got to love it because you have to work so freaking hard. You know, the, the cross training, the strength training, flexibility, the, the cardiovascular, the, the miles you run, the, the miles, you, the laps you swim, the hours you've spent wrestling. In practice, the hours you spent drilling, man, man, you better love it, or you're you're wasting some of the best parts of your life. Amen to that. And so, yeah, I mean, and, and I and I and I think you know, state tournament. Well, what an exciting thing that is! And congratulations, to everybody that qualified. And yes, you know, you you might not, you know, only one guy in each weight is going to win win the weight. So you know, take it for what it is. It's a great experience. Yeah, have gratitude that you were able to do it in your lifetime. Yep. And, uh, you know, maybe you got another year, you can try it again. If you really love it, you could wrestle in college. You could wrestle after college. Yeah. We got guys, Rudy James. He's a, he's a tremendous member of our club. He's still competing. He's going to go to, he's, he won the masters world championship last summer. Yes. And he's going to, he's getting, he's going to go again. So he did, but he, he's in his forties and he trains with our team. That's he's so in there wrestling with guys that, you know, 20 years younger than him and battling it out every day. So, I know Rudy loves it, <laughs> you know, but, <laughs> but you have to, you've got to love it. You've got to love it enough to make all the sacrifices. Yes. That's if you love it that much, it's fun. It's not that much of a sacrifice. That's true. That's true. I love it. I love it. I mean, well, Dan, I, you know what, again, thank you so much. I hope you have an absolutely great uh, rest of your day and, I know this this interview is going to, I'm going to share this as soon as I can. It's going to get out to so many people. So thank you so much for your time. You are the man. Thank you, Jake. Have a great day. You too. Thank you, sir. Post-show donation. Current wrestler here, Rich Carlson. If Minnesota Storm has impacted your life in any way, consider showing your appreciation by giving back and supporting this organization. Your commitment helps Minnesota Storm continue its mission of supporting athletes as they chase their dreams of making Olympic and world teams. Join us as we celebrate the triumphs, perseverance, and life lessons learned both on and off the mat. Together, we'll learn from the past to create a brighter future. Get ready to be inspired, motivated, and challenged to thrive without limits. Welcome to the Storm Series. By joining our team, you are an integral part of continuing the legacy of the Minnesota Storm through this Olympic cycle and beyond. Your 100% tax-deductible donation will go towards training expenses for our athletes trying to accomplish their world and Olympic dream. Donate to Minnesota Storm at mtcstorm.com today or go to the link in the show notes below.